Welcome to Fertility Now. I want to welcome Monica Moore once again. Hey, Monica, how are you doing? Hi, Dr. Richland. I'm excited to be here. You know, this is my favorite topic. I know. And you know what I was thinking? I've known you for over 20 years and your favorite topic, very dear to your heart. So I'm really excited for you to share all the cool things you know about this area to our audience. Yeah, and this is a, a, a very exciting um, edition because you have a different format this week. We're thinking of going live. Monica and I have decided we're going to do uh, a first episode for YouTube. And as everyone knows, Monica and I have collaborated. She's collaborated with me on Fertility Now for a million episodes and given me great ideas. So we figured we would do the maiden voyage, the maiden voyage together right. um, real quick. Remember her website, Fertile Health Expert, and I'm just going to jump right into this. And also, you're on YouTube too. Um, you know, you did a really great PCO ebook for Alum. Um, I think everyone should take a peek at it. So I wanted to kind of give you kudos to that and kind of jump you right into it and let's get into it. So our audience is probably wondering, well, what is PCOS? So it's, it's important. polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I always mention the cyst you know, the C for cyst. I think we think of cyst as something dangerous, as something um, potentially harmful, something worrisome. And just to get that out of the way, they are just follicles that don't have the hormonal support to mature, ovulate, and so they sit in the ovary for a a little while. So just to get that out of the way. But it's incredibly common. In fact, they think up to 15% of reproductive women um, have it. Um, It is- It's real common. Yeah. I have it. So I'm going to, I share that with everybody and I know we'll probably end up touching upon that later. Um, Most of us follow a, um, the diagnosis um, of that you need two out of these three criteria. Um, Most of us we will talk about in teens and young women. That's a little bit um, different. We need to have a PCO appearing ovaries by ultrasound, which I alluded to. So very active ovaries. Sometimes they're a little bit bigger than normal ovaries. Um, you don't ovulate regularly, so you don't have regular cycles. And then um, something called hyperandrogenism or an excess of male hormones that can be manifested either in a blood by a blood test or when we see you and examine you or both, depending on your ethnicity. So if you meet two out of those three, what's called Rotterdam criteria, then you're diagnosed with PCOS. And there are some other rare conditions that can cause those same symptoms. So we do additional blood work usually just to rule those out. But the great majority of people with those that meet those criteria have PCOS. Right. So like you said, a diagnosis of exclusion. And a lot of patients come in because they have irregular cycles and it's hard for them to know when they're ovulating or if they even are, like you said, excessive hair growth, acne. And then they've been told by an ultrasound person or an obstetrician that they have PCO hearing ovaries. So very common and real, a real important area in our field. Right. And we think about young women, maybe teenagers and how, so teenagers do have active ovaries anyway. Um, They may have acne or signs of other androgen excess. So how do we kind of differentiate them? And um, we don't really, they don't need the ovaries for the diagnosis. In fact, we kind of take that out because that's a young person's right. diagnosis anyway. Um, and the first year after you get a period, you usually don't have, you often don't have regular periods. But what happens is beyond that. So a typical person that you probably see in the office of PCOS would describe a history of having a period, um, her menarche or her first period, and then never knowing when she's getting the next one, never having a feeling that it's coming, when it comes, it's, it is usually pretty heavy, 
because it's what we call an anovulatory bleed. Um, so they can, she is never prepared, you know, for this because she doesn't have, you know, the breast tenderness or other symptoms that we might have prior to a period that right. is more likely, uh, a, uh, would make me think that she could have PCOS then, you know, she got a period and then her periods were irregular, but then they kind of ended up being regular. That is, that's, that's usual. And we wouldn't probably diagnose somebody like that with PCOS. Right. Often, like you said, I see people say, you know what, I've, I've always been irregular, you know, when I was kind of a teenager and I was placed on birth control pills and they made me really regular. And now I've stopped them because I want a family build and guess what? I'm now irregular again. Right. Because the birth control pills don't fix that they mask it and they actually have other benefits as well that we're going to get into but all right. it says is that your uterus kind of withdraws these hormones which is great but it doesn't tell us if you ovulate or not and you know you had mentioned or we both mentioned you know kind of acne birth control pills uh, hair growth they're also due to some other issues with insulin resistance that we'll get into can cause some changes in blood sugar that aren't healthy so you can have you know, pre, pre, pre-diabetes all the way up to diabetes, or you're more prone to it. So what happens often with these women is they get what we call fragmented care. They go to their dermatologist for one thing, they get birth control pills from someone else. Maybe they right. go to somebody else because of blood sugar. Um, maybe they see somebody else because two thirds of p- women with PCOS struggle with their weight. So maybe they see somebody for that. So, you know, by the time they come to you, I can imagine they've seen a bunch of different providers and none of the providers may even speak, talk to each other. Right. And they may not even think about PCOS. Right. And they're, they're frustrated because they've seen so many different people and nothing's kind of come together. And I think one of the interesting things that you're involved with with us at Illum is, is to really get that cohesive team to help someone really kind of work through their PCOS and make them successful. I wanted you to touch quickly on some of the kind of the mental health implications where someone has PCOS and because they do, it makes them maybe not feel great. Yeah. And the, and the, the data supports that. So first, even if you can imagine what it's like to be, and I can imagine, cause this happened to me, a teenager who, when you eat pizza, you gain weight and your peers don't. And right. you have acne, maybe you have hair growth and the hair growth is what we call male pattern hair growth. And it's really coarse hair. So it can feel very disfiguring. It can be very embarrassing. You don't have regular cycles. And and at that sort of um, those androgenic symptoms can just lead you to not feeling feminine. When you gain weight due to excess insulin that is common with PCOS, it's often gaining in the belly. Um, and so you are you you don't feel like it's a feminine kind of like hips gaining weight, which we see with Kardashians and everyone else, right? It is the kind of we call it the, like the not so attractive um, disease. Right. It's like, and I remember when I got diagnosed, I was like, can I, why do I have to get diagnosed with the, the not attractive disease? Like, why can't I get diagnosed with like something that makes me super skinny or whatever, but not, not the case with PCOS often. And so they have, so you can imagine, first of all, that that would cause some anxiety and depression and lower quality of life or perceived lower quality of life. And that actually holds true um, in the data and the research and on the questionnaires. Now it is manageable. But I think the first step is to realize that this is a lifelong um, condition that needs to be managed, can't be treated. You are going to be different than other people, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I do think acknowledging and come to terms that is the first step. Right. And there's so many things we can help our patients with regarding all the kind of things you said with regard to acne or cycles or becoming pregnant or getting themselves as healthy as they want to be. You just, you have to be with providers who really understand and are there to help you because we can do so much. 
Right. So I wanted to call this podcast the role and benefits of a multidisciplinary team for PCOS patients, but it wasn't catchy enough. But clearly that's what we need, right? I mean, this is what we need, right. multidisciplinary team. And if it's, it can all be in one spot, I mean, I think that that is ideal and necessary. Right. I mean, we're lucky, you and I are lucky that we have that, but not everybody does. So one of the things that's great that we're talking about, this is for people to hear about it. Right. And to know that it's, one. that it's a possibility, to know that it is a possibility to get all your care in one place. And even our nutritionists, as you and I know, because when we both started there, this wasn't the case, but became the case because it was so important, is that um, they have an endocrine or hormonal background. So they have a background in hormones and how they can change your level of hunger, your level of satiety, what you perceive to be that. And, um, and I think that Many people who struggle with excess weight have seen a nutritionist or done a certain diet, et cetera, in the past. So when we talk about a nutritionist, it's like I've done, been there and done that. But these nutritionists that we see are different. Are different. Are different. Yeah. Um, and they have a real passion for it and a real, like I said, true understanding of the hormonal effects, many of which are beyond our conscious control when it comes to weight management and uh, with PCOS. So a couple comments I want to say. First of all, you were um, essential in pioneering all of that in our practice with regard to the nutritionist and bringing this to our consciousness. So we all thank you, obviously. Your, how would you say, make a couple comments on your story of PCOS that would be, you know, illuminating to our audience? And, and Yeah. You know, I think that the under- reason that I feel so strongly about it and we all made the workbook and we created this PCOS clinic within Illum is because I wish I had it when I was diagnosed. So I was athletic. I played a whole bunch of sports in middle school, high school, um, had a regular cycle. They were annoying. So went on the birth control pill and like we talked about, never kind of dealt with any of the other stuff. I'm also Italian. So there was already kind of like body hair issues. So I didn't really think anything of it. Acne when you're a teenager already happening, although the birth control pill helped with that. So then I went to college and when I went to nursing school and college, the hours were so long that I couldn't exercise like I wanted to. I wasn't on a sports team anymore. I let my birth control pill prescription lapse, um, ate college food, which is very kind of now college food. It's great, but it's like baked potato bar, pasta bar, right. you know, really just kind of white carbs and ballooned. Um, and I remember that it, it, it kind of felt like it happened gradually. But I remember the first time my dad picked me up from school, the expression on his face. And, you know, he just looked at me like with such utter shock. I mean, he just saw me and I could tell he saw it. And then he was like, so he didn't know what to say and was so surprised. And, you know, of course, he would never say anything. Um, but I, you know, when I went home, I guess I, I noticed a difference. It just kind of crept up on me at school. And until I really understood that I had, because I was eating and acting just like all my college roommates, but it affected me differently. And for a while, I was just really angry and resentful about that. Like, why can't I do this? And why can't I drink like this and eat like this and not exercise yeah. until I ended up coming to terms with it? And I don't think I really did till my 20s, um, but that that made a big difference. But it really crept up on me. And I wish I would have known that. So it was a couple years of really feeling sad and anxious. I wonder, Monica, how you feel now with regard to uh, so many of us knowing about PCOS, our medical endocrinologists, our pediatricians and our obstetricians and the REIs, that people are getting care earlier now and where we are now in time. I think that's happening, but you got. Um, yes. Yeah. So my gut is that it is happening. I think PC- the learning about PCOS is 
important and people are passionate about it. I am part of and on a lot of message boards where there are people diagnosed with it that still um, don't really understand what it means, understand what it means for them. Um, as we'll talk about it, what you do about it is different depending on if you're trying to conceive or not. But I'm starting to hear more OBs talk about it. More OBs talk about uh, obstetricians, talk about what it means to have this prior to pregnancy, what it means to have this potentially during pregnancy. There's certain testing that might be done differently in pregnancy. My OB, I had an amazing OB. We both uh, know her in that group. And she spoke to me about it and she's like, look, it might be harder. You might get gestational diabetes uh, as good as you, you know, as well as you eat. It may be difficult for you to lose weight. You might gain weight. You might be at risk for X, Y, and Z. And luckily I didn't get a lot of those things where I got them to a level, a lower intensity. And I think that really was due to her being proactive and discussing with me and educating me about it. And so I think that's why when we capture people, prior to fertility treatments, we have them at this ideal time to not only go over what it means in terms of fertility and infertility, but what it means for them to live with this and to become pregnant with it. So let's transition, let's get into those mechanisms. So we all know, and, and, and everyone in the audience hears about insulin and insulin resistance. And Monica, in your kind of easy terms, how do you see all that kind of affecting sugars and, and pregnancy and things like that? So I always tell people insulin is a storage hormone. So its whole job is to store, um, is to store uh, body, you know, fat basically, because and particularly in the belly, because body fat in the belly is easily accessed for when the body perceives that it needs energy. So uh, when insulin is produced, that's its job. The other thing insulin does is it takes uh, glucose or blood sugar after somebody eats. And it puts it into, it's like the key that allows the glucose to get into the blood cells. So when you have insulin resistance and PCOS, there's a strong correlation between that and insulin resistance. The insulin is there, it's being made, it's present. And it, the, the blood, the cells are not sensitive to it. So the cells are getting bombarded with insulin, but they are, but they, but it stays outside the cell and the glucose stays outside the cell. So now we have these cells that need energy and we have, um, glucose and insulin outside the cells. And we know with people that are diabetic, when insulin sits where it's, I mean, glucose sits where it's not supposed to sit, it can damage the vessels. Um, so we, we don't want that. And that can happen in terms of PCOS over time, if not treated or managed. So the whole goal when you have PCOS, when we talk about managing it, is to make somebody sensitive to insulin, do the opposite of insulin resistance. Um, we do some blood tests for it. They aren't ideal. The ideal blood test means that you have to be in the hospital with, uh, you know, what's called a uglycemic clamp, as you know, an inpatient, we're not doing that for people. So we, you know, we test for it, but we often assume people with PCOS have, have it. Um, I don't think anyone doesn't benefit from kind of with PCOS trying to make themselves more sensitive to insulin. And so when you talk about, you know, the medications and any supplements and um, strategies, they all work toward that goal. So basically in that insulin resistance paradigm, you're not taking that sugar that's in your bloodstream and getting it out into muscle fat in the liver. And so now your sugar levels in your system can go up and you can become pre-diabetes or even have diabetes. Right. And the insulin is just sitting there. And so excess insulin is a fat storage hormone too. The other thing that right. we talked to people about when we talked about um, anxiety and depression and kind of feelings of that is is a stress response. So you were creating this, you have a condition that might cause stress. And then you're stressed about the condition that might cause stress. That produces a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol stores belly fat. 
cortisol exacerbates insulin. And so really when we talk about, you know, managing it, it is also managing stress response, managing coping mechanisms, because we don't want, you know, that, that cortisol to stay chronic and kind of lurking there and wreaking havoc really. Right. Just such a vicious cycle. I want to make two quick comments. One is, is like you're alluding to a lot of our patients, just so you know, you may be getting what's called a two hour glucose test. And we want to kind of find out if you have impaired glucose tolerance, or could you even be someone who has diabetes? The other subtle thing is, is like we were talking about insulin. If we're insulin resistant, we have to make more insulin from our pancreas to take that sugar out of the bloodstream making more and more insulin. And when you make more and more insulin, you can decrease something called sex hormone binding globulin. And now you have more free testosterone running around in your system to make excessive hair growth and to kind of make our cycles not regular. So it just, sometimes we just can't get a break in this whole thing. Right. And sex hormone, blonde, sex hormone binding globulin or SH, hormone BG, is uh, is important because it binds to free testosterone and free testosterone is really the bugger, right? That's what causes the symptoms. So getting that bound to something where it can't cause so many symptoms is important. And it's one of the reasons you and I know that we prescribe birth control pills to people that are not trying to conceive because certain uh, birth control pills provide sex hormone binding globulin. So it lowers the free testosterone and that's how they can market themselves as being anti-acne and you know, can help with the future uh, progression of hair growth. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was when you talked about the two hour test, you know, we want people to do that. That test is a pain because you have to make an appointment for it. You have to sit there for right. two hours. But the problem is, is that it, or the, what we, we strongly feel it is the best test at which you can be diagnosed very early on in the continuum. If you wait oh, to just get right a fasting level and the fasting level, it could be normal, your body could be working super hard to get that level normal. And we're not capturing at the body working super hard part. So we're catching you late in, in the process of impaired glucose tolerance, when we could be helping you even not even not even potentially get there. If we do this test, that's a little bit of a pain, but actually very much more informative than just a regular blood test. Right. So make sure if, because if we have impaired glucose tolerance, we can do some changes, which we're going to talk about, like you said, to fight off getting, you know, real diabetes. The other thing I wanted to comment was with regard to insulin resistance. Some of our patients out there are people who are listening. Remember, if we have insulin resistance and we have to make a lot more insulin to take that sugar out of the bloodstream because we have resistant end organs, basically we can get what's called acanthosis nigricans or around the neck, axilla under your arms or vulva, you can get a velvety change. And I think that's important if anybody's listening and you see that and you have that change in skin color, a little maybe darker skin color, those areas to think, hmm, could I have resistance? Do I need to hook up with my primary care? I hope let someone know because it's, it's kind of a sign of high insulin. Yeah. A lot of people come to us and they're like, you know, it looks like dirt almost like when they first, but it doesn't, doesn't leave. So it's in the skin folds, really, like I said, in the neck, uh, sometimes under the armpits. And it just looks yep. like you would have like a brownish there discoloration, but let's say they used a Q-tip or something to get rid of it. You can't get rid of it because, uh, I mean, you can at that point until we take care of the insulin resistance, but a lot of people come and see us for that. Another reason why people see dermatologists and if dermatologists don't prescribe or don't try to refer them in terms of PCOS, they're just getting that one little part of them taken care of. Right. I definitely feel like we kind of put it all together. You know, you always comment, you know, there's no, you know, necessary treatment. And we're going to talk about some really cool things up and coming. Um, 
when you think about managing it and you comment that it's a lifelong condition, if I said to you, what's your, your personal biggest secret for success and other people can be successful with all of this, what's your, what kind of keeps you going in a positive light with regard to PCOS? I think acknowledging that you have to manage it and that you're different than anyone else. And in the beginning, that sounds bad, but I can tell you that in my life, it has worked for me because like I was mentioning uh, pregnancy, I did need assistance getting pregnant. Um, you know, if we, n- not to digress, but when we're talking about, you know, in the infertility world, who's the easiest people to try to get pregnant? It's often people that just don't ovulate regularly because everything is technically infertile. They're not getting a chance every month. So um, that's another, um, I just wanted to mention that because I think a lot of people with PCOS are told they're infertile or they're going to have difficulty getting pregnant and they may need help getting pregnant, but that's not necessarily that the difficulty. And I think that that is uh, important to note. Um, So my, I learned that I have to eat differently. I learned that I have to move and decrease my level of inactivity. You and I talked on this show before about you don't need to call it exercise or an outfit, right? You just need to move. You know, skeletal muscle, muscle that we use in exercise is the greatest glucose uptake um, strategy. So the glucose goes into the muscle. So exercising, moving that muscle, causing hypertrophy of that muscle with weights or body weight is even is is the best way to sensitize yourself Get that sugar out of the system right. out of the bloodstream independent of even weight loss even if the exercise isn't right. causing weight loss this can make you more sensitive which i think i'm hoping that we drive home how important that is so once i learned to manage it i learned to manage my life differently i learned you know how to um what how to eat and move in a way that makes my body feel good and i think that when we eat in a way to look a certain way or because other people do it we move because we have to, you know, we, when I, I always, I work as a health coach too, as you know, I have a lot of clients um, who struggle with uh, excess weight and they're told, okay, go do hit, you know, H I I T exercise, go spin to spinning. And they go there and it makes them hungrier than if they had done something else. So I'm like, why are you going to these exercises? Cause we're supposed to, I said, do you like spinning and hit? They're like, no, we hate it. And I said, then you, that's not Don't do it. Um, and you right. and I've talked about that before. You need to find a movement and exercise that's enjoyable, fun, carefree. Um, and so if spinning does it for you, great. If it doesn't and it makes you super hungry afterwards, then that is not the exercise for you. But I, I had to learn that too. So a couple of things I want to comment on is you kind of touched on birth control pills and kind of the management and utilization of birth control pills. So how I kind of see it is, is a lot of patients who are not cycling, who have PCOS, they need to cycle because the last thing we want them to do is have this unopposed estrogen, which is part of the whole PCO situation, hit their uterine lining and have them have an increased risk of hyperplasia. So the birth control pills help with, you know, increasing the sexual binding globulin like you and I talked about, decreasing testosterone, decreasing hair growth, helping cycles become regular. And so we want someone to be regular uh, on birth control pills. But I think you made a really, really, really important comment about ovulation induction. I agree with you. Our patients who come in with PCOS are the simplest to help get pregnant because they're just not cycling. So all we have to do is make them cycle. So I kind of think, it is, well, you're kind of not cycling a little bit ovulatory dysfunction, and we can fix that real simple with Mara great medication to make our patients really regular and ovulate. 
so they know exactly when to time intercourse. Also, you know, one we didn't talk about uh, that's common with PCOS but isn't necessary for the diagnosis is LH, one of our hormones, luteinizing hormone, is high. There's a lot of LH we call activity when you have PCOS. Well, that's also the hormone that we use to test for ovulation. So women who have PCOS can be constantly getting these positive ovulation predictor kits. So first you have your regular cycles, then you have a positive ovulation predictor kit all the time. Not only do we help with ovulation induction, but we just need to help you get that cycle timed sometimes. It's very difficult. And, you know, when you are struggling with infertility, it sounds fun. Like, oh, just, you know, have intercourse all the time or do this all the time. Well, it, that becomes tiring and it becomes not fun. And so the other right. thing is, is helping people time that when it's difficult to do with your body and those hormones levels get really skewed. And so when you're, when you're timing with, let's say, Femara, which is such a great medication, what we do is we have our patients do Femara, let's say, day three through seven of their cycle. It's either if they have a natural cycle or we can induce immenses. So we can do our Femara day three through seven, and then they'll come in day 12. And guess what? They have a beautiful follicle with an egg looking right at them, about 20 millimeters. And then we give them a little shot, sub-Q of something called LHR and that makes the egg release and they're ovulating. So the next two days, they have intercourse, which brings you test in two weeks. Think how cool that is. Now, all of a sudden, you've gone from not knowing when you're ovulating, if you even are, and now, boom, you've got you know, 20, 22, 25% chance of becoming pregnant because we've made you regular. And I say to people, you know what? By doing the FAMAR, it's like you're sitting next to someone who's regular. Your pregnancy rates are like them. Right. Because now you're ovulating. So exciting, such a good thing. We have great success with that. You, you mentioned um, that they, people need to get a withdrawal bleed every once in a while because we don't want their uterine lining to get to a point where if it sits there too long, it can be what's called hyperplasia, which can lead to other things. So how often do you want them to get a withdrawal bleed if they're not on birth control pills or um, you know, not trying? How often should they have a bleed either with birth control pills or a progesterone? You know, I think some people would say, you know what, have a bleed at least once every three months. Right. I don't think you know if there's a perfect answer for it. You have to have a bleed. A lot of people are on birth control pills, which make them have a bleed every month, or they can be on different medication regimens and have a bleed every three months because it's kind of easier. Right. And there's no danger of being on birth control pills for a long time. I mean, that's the other common question. Like, is it bad that I'm on these pills? Does my body need a break from them? Absolutely not, especially with PCOS. The benefits of of it outweigh the risks. Um, The other thing I'll mention is not all birth control pills are created equal. You and I also know this. Some uh, people will prescribe just a low estrogen microgram pill for PCOS patients um, because they think they need low estrogen. And we do if you're young, but they, you, what they need is a progesterone that has what's called low androgenic activity. A lot right. of that sex hormone binding globulin that you talked about to give you um, some relief from those androgenic symptoms. So make sure if you're not seeing an endocrinologist that you ask for a birth control pill specifically that can help you with those uh, those male hormone symptoms. Right. And sometimes people have to try different pills to become comfortable and find the one they like. Right. Right. And so if you don't respond well to one, you actually might respond well to a different one. It's, you don't feel like you need to give up because they all aren't created equal. A lot of differences. 
And Monica, I just want to quickly comment. There's some some patients, not that often, that Femar or the oral medication is not going to make them make that nice follicle to help them ovulate in time intercourse. Sometimes we use stronger medicines called gonadotropins at really low dose. Just kind of want to put it out there. The bottom line is, is that with our patients who are not cycling regular, we want you to bring up one follicle every month. So we want to bring up one follicle and release one egg and try to avoid a multiple pregnancy. So that's really important. Let's switch gears and talk about something that's dear to your heart, which you've helped us set up, um, is really what this is all about, a multidisciplinary approach and using so many people to help our patients become successful. So let's just jump into this. So, you know, I think we're unique. You can tell me if I'm wrong to have really a dedicated team. You know, we have our IFW fertility wellness group to really help our patients with PCO in all different realms of it, kind of like a holistic approach. So it's really unique. Right. So you have mental health professionals that really understand um, hormonal and endocrinology, endocrinologic aspects. They also understand what it's like to go through fertility treatments. And with PCOS, right. and you're, if you're trying to achieve a pregnancy in a PCOS, sometimes you get the, the dual blow of feeling bad about yourself because you're unable to get pregnant without help, feeling bad about yourself because you may have some excess weight. So having somebody that really understands that and those two conditions makes a big difference. And the same goes with nutritionists. I can't tell you how many times I've referred somebody to our nutritionist. And like you said, I'm so, we're so lucky and grateful that we have these amazing nutritionists um, and dietitians uh, at Illum. And sometimes I send them like, I've done that. I've been there. I've done Weight Watchers. I've already talked to it. You probably say that they're different. It's different. It's very different. It's different. It's not about any, right, so. avoiding any particular food group. You don't have to be keto. In fact, we, I know people lose weight with that. It's very difficult to sustain. It's really about how you combine foods and how you eat in a way, again, that makes you sensitive to, to insulin. It's not about getting rid of things. It's not about not ever having something again. Um, and we really, I, I do talk to people about that health coaching and they um, talk to them about that in terms of really uh, what specific foods, you know, you don't have to necessarily count calories. You don't have to weigh things and put things on a scale. And we really want this to be a lifestyle change because this is a lifestyle. Uh, this is a lifelong uh, condition and commitment. Right. So, so I want to touch on a couple of things you just touched on. So for us, you know, we have our acupuncturists who, you know, potentially can enhance fertility, relaxation, get the nervous system relaxed and get some good positive neurohormones going, maybe increase blood flow to the organs, tubes, you know, more so really ovary and uterine, uterine lining. And then you comment our nutritionists are really interesting. So I bring it up often, but I say to them, these are really special unique, unique people who are really cool. And they're going to talk to you about, you know, having a nice plate of food, protein, vegetables, and complex carbs. And I think one of the things you talk a lot about, and you've taught me actually is kind of, you know, the healthy snacks and then be prepared and base and prepare your meals in advance. So you don't get caught, you know, getting bad snacks when you're out and about. And like you talked about our counseling and support, and then we're kind of unique that we have our fertile yoga which is really, really interesting. Like you said, move your muscles, elevate your spirit, decrease stress. Comment quickly, if you would, on kind of healthy snacks if being prepared with your meals, because I know that you coach your, your patients. First, I'm glad you mentioned the yoga, because I forgot when you asked me a while ago, one thing that I did to manage it, it is absolute yoga. You know, I think we think of yoga as, you know, like this woo-woo thing or whatever. So I now, I've done yoga for a long time. 
It is really incredibly important in terms for many reasons, but there's a huge many. mindfulness component to it. And it's like a moving meditation. A lot of people have trouble meditating, but that part of yoga, I feel like can't be stressed enough. The benefits of yoga for a lot of reasons. Well, let me do a shout out before, let me do a shout out before you go on to yep. talking about snaps and, and all that, you know, to Lisa Rosenthal and healthy and fertile yoga has really enlightened a lot of us. And so she has great videos. Um, that our patients can can look at. But I think what's most important, this is not about us or our practice. It's about talking about things that people can do all around the world. So right. yoga is yoga. so important. So many online, almost all my health coach yeah. clients can't kind of get to stuff during the day because of work. So there's online, great online yoga options. And you can look at it, say like I have 15 minutes, or you can say, I want to work on this particular thing. So there's a lot of options for that. So I'm glad that we mentioned that. Um, so, Mon, move us through nutrition. Yeah. Give us a little bit to hang our hat on in that. Yeah. So, um, so what is so important is that you don't want after a meal to eat something that is going to cause your glucose to spike. And I'm making a very like big spike right now. If you're not watching this, because then what happens is the insulin follows, and when the insulin does it, and you have excess insulin, then you have a drop in glucose. That hypoglycemia can cause you to feel really panicked and needing to eat something again quickly. What we usually reach for is something quick, which is usually a carb. Or, you know, when you think no. when you when you think of somebody who is hypoglycemic, give them a glass of orange juice. Well, then it creates this whole thing again. And so that's what ends up happening with uh, people with insulin resistance. So what I tell people is any meal or snack, you have got to start with protein. Um, it could be any kind of protein, plant protein, animal protein. But one of the first things we do is we identify the proteins that that person likes could be nut butters. Um, it could be any Which I type. love, by the way. Yes. Edamame, a lot of people kind of don't think about. Um, and it's so easy to have. So we identify it. I have somebody that loves like they like their chicken breaded and put in the air fryer. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's protein yeah. and some fat. It really depends kind of what you do with your plate. So for meal or snack, you always have to have a protein first. And then you build your plate around there. That tempers that spike instead of kind of spiking in a big spike. It looks kind of like a rainbow, like a little bit of a mound. And that is a much better response and unlikely to cause that big drop that causes our body to, you know, feel badly. And for, yes, it's about weight, but it's also about how you feel kind of the rest of the day without understanding what it feels like to eat poorly with PCOS. I can tell you from my experience, when I do, I almost feel like I have a hangover, like a food hangover the next day. It's like my body's trying to process this stuff. And when I talk to people that eat differently, they realize they feel like that all the time. And they didn't know that they could feel differently just by, you know, combining the foods and doing the foods in a different way. But like you said, it's really important that you meal plan and you snack plan and you have some things that are quick and readily available. It could be a certain of the nutrition bars. It doesn't have to be, it could be hard boiled eggs, it could be some nuts, or like I said, nut butters. But being able to do that, we give a lot of ideas in that workbook um, is really, it is, incredibly important. It is the key to a lot of people's success is having that plan. And you kind of build your plate around there, depending on, um, you know, what your goals are. And, you know, Monica, the, what you're talking about, it's the, really the way to eat for all of us. So that's how I eat, just how my patients eat after they kind of learn with us and from us. Um, I want you to comment about weight and a little bit about some of the hormones and talk about really like how we treat people who who are 
working through different weight issues and kind of round out that really important discussion. I know I threw a lot at you, but no, that's my second favorite topic, as you know, uh, is talking about when people struggle with excess weight. Um, It's incredibly frustrating. And um, I think whether you have PCOS or not, what we don't realize is that there are these hormones that tell us when we're full, when we should, when we um, should be hungry and, what happens when you have PCOS insulin resistance, or you even if you don't have excess weight, is that those hormones lie to you and lie to you at this subconscious, not conscious level. And they actually have data on this now because they're able to do these MRI scans that show um, these areas laid up in the brain that want you to be hungry. They light up for dopamine response, which makes you crave something when somebody with insulin resistance and excess weight is under stress. So, and they don't necessarily for when somebody who doesn't have excess weight is under stress. So I think a lot of times we feel like, oh, we don't have the willpower to have this, but it is like constantly fighting your body physiology. So when I get a referral for health coaching and it's PCOS patient, they list all the things that they tried. And the first thing I say to them is, I believe you. I believe that you tried these things. I believe that it's difficult to lose and keep weight off. And, um, and that you did the best that you can. I believe that you don't feel full and you're hungry more than you should be because that's the bot. That's the lie that the body is telling us. And it's, they, you know, it's done for a reason because it's more important for our body to keep weight on than it is for our body to lose it. Um, so it's this kind of this well-meaning, um, coping mechanism or mechanism, what we call metabolic adaptation, but it stinks if you're trying to lose weight because you're constantly fighting these urges that other people just may not feel. So it's not a willpower thing. It is a hormonal fluctuation thing. And there are some ways to manage it. Some of the things that we talked about, if you're not attempting pregnancy, there's certain medications that you can be on. They have some fantastic medications now that they probably didn't. Real hot area in our field, huh? Yes. So you probably are reading about these. And so they were, they were, um, they're indicated for diabetes. And what they found is when people that took them for diabetes, they actually ended up losing a lot of weight. Um, they, uh, one of the names of them, one of the main ones is semaglutide, is a generic name, goes by Wagovi Ozempic. Um, so for weight management, you sometimes don't get coverage with insurance, but sometimes do. It's worth trying with a pre-diabetes or diabetes diagnosis, they might be covered. Again, we just, they're so new. We don't know that they're harmful if you get pregnant on them. We just don't know enough about them. So we put them in a different pregnancy category. So if you're attempting pregnancy, you probably wouldn't be offered these medications. But if you're not, it's worthwhile to ask your doctor or if you have an endocrinologist that you see um, to maybe consider prescribing them for you. And all it does is it makes those hormones at the level where you're not constantly fighting them. Every time I put somebody goes on them, they say to me, oh, is this what it feels like? Is this what quote unquote normal people feel like when they eat, you know, and they, it take, makes cravings get lower. It's, it's amazing. They, they are. Monica, do you think these medications that we're kind of talking about this kind of new class of medications, it's real kind of a game changer for a lot of people. I'm, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the new England journal of medicine is one of the premier journals it's peer-reviewed i think in terms of it's probably one of the top five that people believe the articles yeah. that come out in it because they're so rigid and their selection criteria and they came out with a study and it showed what when people were on smaglutide how much weight they lost now like any other if we consider kind of excess weight or obesity a chronic condition like any other chronic condition when you stop the meds 
some of the condition can come back. That's where the strategies come in and the importance of it, of not just using medications alone. But it really showed this probably twice um, the effect of weight loss and insulin and glucose control with just diet and exercise alone. Right, and you gave us a real good workshop on this. This is, this is you know, air to the future, eye to the future on this. Yeah, I, just, I, I hope more insurances are willing to cover it. I know that there is a lot going around that we're trying to make that the obesity part as well, a chronic condition and not just the diabetes part so that these can be covered. They can be prohibitively expensive. Once you start doing fertility treatments, it seems like they can be expensive. It just seems like one more thing. Um, so sometimes right. it gets covered, but we're hoping to get that the insurance companies in 2023 will get the price down where it's feasible for people to be able to use these like any other medication for a chronic condition. So important. I'm seeing patients having great success with them. Move us through, you know, there's, you know, language and, and self-talk and how to be good to yourself when you're kind of involved with your PCOS and as you're kind of going through your journey. Um, a lot of our patients are not feeling great about sometimes the way they feel or look and that it's a little bit more difficult to become pregnant and they kind of need to reframe some of their thoughts. What's Give us some good ideas on that. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So there's so much shame in when you have excess weight. There's certainly shame, even if you don't have excess weight in an appearance that seems uh, androgenic, you know, those hormones. And there's shame when you have trouble conceiving still, even though it's, you know, not our fault. So it's very difficult to not internalize that. And I love how you say to reframe it, because what sentences I hear is I had a bad meal. I was bad. I did something wrong. I should. And what I always tell people is, you didn't, you know, I would take bad and good and make it helpful, not helpful. When I did this, it was helpful. When I, this wasn't helpful, it just makes it seem like it's transient and quick and you can just kind of move on from it. But I also talk about when if they're like, I had a terrible meal, I made a mistake. I will say something like, well, let's take your meal and let's kind of play with it. How can we play with this meal to get it to fit into a way that makes you feel good about yourself? Or if you um, are trying something new and maybe it's an exercise routine to say, I'm curious about what the how this is going to work for me. I'm curious to see, you know, you just don't want that word to to the words that you use to bring more shame. Because remember that will make cortisol come and the stress response. And then that uh, is detrimental to all this. Keeps them going. Do. It's exactly the opposite. So just changing the way you talk to yourself. And when I have health coaching people, I, I will stop them sometimes. Sometimes I'll just write down like I'll do as they're talking. I bet you like in the first 10 minutes, there's 15 times when you don't even notice that they're saying things that they would never say to somebody else or about someone else, but we say it to ourselves, I do it too. And just changing that way that you talk can make a huge difference in terms of your, uh, if you have anxiety, depression, anger, frustration. So simple little uh, changes or reframes, like you said, can make a big difference. Right, so you know, you, did, you didn't mess up again. That's like, you, sh you all these things. Fell off just the wagon, right. No, you know, just we got to re rethink it all and, and make it so that patients don't feel that way. So yeah, we, I talk to my so, patients a lot. Like, you know, like when you have it, the ticker at the bottom of the screen with the stocks and the prices, right. we talk a lot because I'm like, what are you thinking to yourself? I'm like, I'm angry or I'm anxious, but I'm like, but what exactly are the thoughts, the words, if you had a ticker that was going on the inside of your brain, what would that say? What are those words? Because that's where you can make the change of the thoughts. If I say I'm anxious 
I'm nervous, I'm frustrated, I'm upset. There's not much to do about that. But if it's, if I'm saying something like I failed at blah, 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 and I know what those words are, those are words that I can reframe and change. And then that can help lead out of my being anxious and upset. So that's also something that mental health professionals that we work with are really good about kind of capturing, catching and giving you strategies to change those around. Right. Definitely kind of rephrase and re kind of think your mind through things. So, well, we unpacked so much stuff in this time. I want to kind of throw it back to you before I wrap up. Um, I want to make kind of quick comments and then I can we'll let you obviously have the last word. So check out, you know, illumfertility.com and, and look at the PCOS workbook that Monica and the PCOS team put together and check out the tab and you can find Ask Monica. It's free, by the way, the workbook. It's not like, you know, yeah. you have to pay or you have to be our patient or part of what we do. We really offer it to everybody just to throw that in there. There's great stuff in there. There, It's 37 pages, but I didn't mean it that way. There's great information. And then there's things to fill in and, and just it's so easy and it's put together so beautifully. I've read it a couple of times. And Mon, any last kind of words for everyone to give them, like you said, rephrase, reframe and kind of uplift them if they feel like they have PCO or if they do? Well, I think the first uh, thing I want to say is what I say to my health coaching clients. And you, you and I have talked about this in the past is when you feel that you, it's difficult and it's struggling and you're upset, we believe you. So I think it's really important to know that we believe you, we hear you, there's a reason for this and we can help you. Um, and I think the first thing is just acknowledging like, hey, I'm different. I, for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to eat and move differently. I'm going to have to learn to manage my stress in non-food ways, non-coping mechanism ways. But let me tell you, that really is a benefit for you for the rest of your life, right? It is incredible benefit to figure that out and manage that prior to pregnancy, but also along the life continuum. It's something that I was upset with for years. And then in retrospect, I'm really happy I learned. So if that's one thing I can get across is learning how to manage this is a is a is a huge um, positive step in terms of making your life happier and um, healthier and feel more balanced. And on that, I'm going to take from the physician side, we support exactly what you're saying. And we have so many people helping us do that in our practice. But then we are here to help you get pregnant, because we can make you ovulate and you know, I hate when people say, oh, I have PCOS and I was told that I was not going to get pregnant. Yes, you're going to. We're going to fix this for you. Yeah. So that's kind of the positive comments from us. Okay, Monica. Well, you know, a great episode, great launch into our YouTubing. I and, know. You know check out I always worry that like people, I wonder for like what people expect if they go online. You know how you hear a voice and you're like, I think that it, the person's like that. Like you guys might be disappointed. I don't know. Like we, we no, they're going to have it. cats running around and heat. You're in your scrubs and I'm in exercise stuff. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. But we, we love no, doing this, love as you know. Me. So, and then how can they you reach you like if it. they have certain topics they want to talk about or. Yeah. So what I would, so let's do it. So for you, you remember everyone, fertilehealthexpert.com, check out Fertile Health YouTube channel. And I'm on Instagram, Dr. Spencer Richland and fertility.now. Reach out to Monica to talk to her you know where she is, or you can email me at fertilenow1 at gmail.com. We're open to any suggestions, any questions. Um, Monica's talking to people about PCOS all around the world. And you pretty so regularly post, so they could just write in the comments on one of your Instagram posts as well. Right. And so there's no one more who I'd want to talk 
about PCOS to our patients than you. This is so fun. Thank you for asking. Great having you on. Okay, everyone. Have a great day and thank you very much.